Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that takes a broad look at how cars and transport impact our community. And in this program we have news stories including a federal government discussion paper, Fuel Future Strategy, which has clearly come from a political background. We also have a long chat with respected motoring writer Paul Morell, who, with a love of cars, a career in marketing and a worldly perception, who looks at a range of subjects from big car mergers, car brands redesigning their logo, and have we gone too far with the size of car grills? As always, you can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. Look for Cars, Transport and Culture. Or you might go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's get going. First, the news. The federal government has released a discussion paper titled Australia's Future Fuels Strategy. The government has nominated a few projects they will help fund with, they say, substantial funding. They list two funds in the press release that add up to nearly $100 million, which is not a large amount in world terms. Pollution is discussed only in terms of carbon dioxide, which is important, but the poor quality high sulphur content of the 91-octane fuel we use is just one of the other issues that is not touched on. Fuel security is mentioned mainly in the context of helping support fossil fuel supplies. The government says it will provide more information to consumers, presumably with government-branded ads and materials. But most of the heavy lifting in financial commitment and development will be left to private industry, with no mention of policies to help facilitate this. Ultimately, they will let the market decide. Many companies are taking a constructive and aggressive stance to reduce pollution from their activities. Bill Gillespie, Vice President, Brand and Franchise Development for Hino Trucks, knows he has to serve these customer requirements. When you have a large company talking about how they're going to work together to create a better and more sustainable future, if you're a logistics partner, um, you need to be able to speak that language and say, here's what we're doing to become a responsible logistics partner for our um, customers. And if you can't speak that language, they'll find other solutions. And I've got personal experience with um, with IKEA, for instance, who are on a zero-emission program globally. So their logistics partners all around the world need to have zero-emission solutions in their plan. So if you're a logistics provider and you can't talk about that, IKEA will um, simply move on. Uh, because they have no choice. They have to meet their global plan as well. So all of that sort of border directors' um, sustainability plans and how they work with their partners is going to flow and is flowing right in through the whole logistics business and, and it's informing what trucks they purchase, how they use them, who drives them, how do they drive them. So all of those things, that there's never been a um, more, more of a focus on duty of care and the environment than there is right now. Hyundai Australia has issued a voluntary safety recall for a problem with their Tucson medium-sized SUV. The anti-lock brake system modules can cause an electric short circuit over time, 
raising a risk of fire. Over 93,000 vehicles are involved, covering modelled years 2015 to 2021. Hyundai has not received any reports of this happening in Australia, but some 13 cases of a fire have occurred in the larger US market. Owners should book their car in at a Hyundai dealership, and there is no charge for the work. The short circuit can occur even if the engine is turned off, so as an added precaution, Hyundai recommends parking these vehicles outside and away from structures until the recall remedy is completed. In the last month period, there has been 23 separate recalls across a range of brands. Owners should respond promptly to these situations. The Hyundai Motor Group has shown the world its concept Tiger vehicle. Tiger stands for Transforming Intelligent Ground Excursion Robot and is designed to carry payloads over challenging terrain. It looks like a modern lunar vehicle with four wheels on the end of multi-flexible legs. With its legs retracted close to the body, Tiger drives like an all-wheel drive vehicle. But when the vehicle gets stuck or needs to travel over terrain that is difficult for wheels, its legs can extend and provide a walking-type action. The Tiger is an autonomous vehicle that does not carry any crew. It's made to be a mobile scientific exploration platform in extreme remote locations. Hyundai says its New Horizon studio is developing multiple technologies for innovative vehicle platforms. It's hard to see a need for this technology for everyday vehicles, except perhaps to walk sideways into a tight parking space. And that has been the news. Well, there's been a major merger in the car industry. Fiat Chrysler has merged with PSA, Peugeot and Citroën, and a number of other car brands that are under that. And they put it all under a company heading of Stellantis, which has some Latin derivative, which means something that no one will ever come to grips with. Now, why? What do you think that might mean it? But Stellantis has now put out a whole pile of press material to say what a wonderful idea it is. How good is that material and who is it aimed at? Who better to talk about that than Paul Morell, our great friend and great historian in motoring and other issues. G'day, Paul. G'day, David. How are you? Good. Did you watch the Stellantis webinar press conference that they put out? I, uh, I stuck with it as long as I could, David. I would suggest it's uh, second only to Richard Nixon's memoirs when it comes to putting you to sleep. <laughs> it was full of some interesting things. Now, we, we should talk, talk about this because what are they trying to do? When you've got the merger of what they say is the merger of equals, we've heard that expression with a number of other get-togethers, haven't we? We have. Mercedes and Chrysler. I think, talked about the merger of equals. It didn't quite work out that way. No, it, it was typical of a lot of those mergers, David, in the sense that they tend to want to complement each other. In other words, you want to look at you know engines and cars and models, and car companies obviously aren't designed to complement other car companies. So when they merge, they then have to um, rationalise the range, and that becomes incredibly difficult. It's like, who's going to lose models? Who's going to be chasing which part of the market? And that happened, obviously, with Chrysler and, and Mercedes-Benz. Um, it happened with Nissan and, and Renault. Um, you know, it goes on and on. It's, it's, 
it's a difficult exercise to, to pull off. One of the comments they made in this glossy video presentation was that they would keep different cultures. Do you think that's a bit of a sop to trying to make sure people in the in the companies don't panic? I think that's very much what it is. I mean, we talk about obviously cars are cars are an emotional purchase, as we all know, and very much it's it's the history of the car that sometimes has an effect on what you buy, and that's obviously why MG, for example, despite being Chinese, still do their advertising. You know, since 1929. Well, it's a bit of a fantasy, but it's part of the history of MG and. It's going to be difficult for Stellantis to pull that off because the cultures and the philosophies of those car companies, those individual brands, are so disparate, they're so varied, that pulling them into line or even trying to incorporate them under one umbrella is going to be a a, a real challenge. Economies of scale in terms of purchasing and other things and design and obviously new technology such as electric vehicles, that economy of scale probably necessitates this more readily. Now, I've asked the local brands that are part of this what it means, and none of them uh, have got anything to say. They say it's too early, which someone else outside those companies has said, well, they probably don't know. We're not going to... We're very unlikely to see a Stellantis brand car. They will keep Fiat and Chrysler and Peugeot and Citroëns as brands, you would think but it's meant to be this economies of scale. The fact that we're moving to new technologies like electric vehicles, that necessitates these sorts of mergers, do you think? To some extent it does, but I, I, I sort of wonder how big you need to be to start getting you know, purchasing advantages. I mean, let's face it, Fiat Chrysler was a pretty big group to start with, and um, you know, PSA is not exactly tiny. So you ask yourself, well, how much more will they? How much more leverage will they have by having made themselves enormous? And I think it's it's a bit like sort of mega councils. You've got to try and work with so many things and so keep around so many so many balls, as it were. I just don't know how they're going to manage it. Mega councils, which was tried in New South Wales, had a whole pile of economies of scale type arguments which were met by people saying, will you still mow the median strip in front of my house? That it's very much a local, personable type of reaction to it, and brand names are very distinctive to that. In that regard, a number of companies have brought out new logos. This is something other companies, design companies, get paid big money to do. Even the name of a car will cost you several million to get some company to, quote, research it. Nissan's new logo, is that any good? Yeah, I quite like Nissan's new logo. It's, it's quite, uh, it's quite uh, slim. It's, uh, it's, it's modern. It's, it's a bit anonymous, but then... It's all interpreted. I mean, when you talk to designers, they have so much jargon that they can explain to you why it's such a wonderful logo and it have what it says and what it tells you, tells you about the company. And, of course, most of us just sit there and go, it's a logo. <laughs> what the heck? It's a logo. It's quite nice. The Nissan logo is quite, is quite stylish, and it, it has elements of the older logo, so it's, a, it's an evolution, not a revolution. Is the old logo the one that was almost like a silver ring with a, a band across with the word Nissan? Is the new one the one with a red almost Japanese, I suppose, flag-type dot, but a new square-coloured blue with a white Nissan in it in capital letters. Is that the one? 
No, I, the one I the one I'm talking about is, is it basically has almost a stylized circle and and band. So there's a, a top crescent and a bottom crescent and the word missing across the middle as it used to be, but much simplified and much more much more modern looking than the, the old circle and band. That is the one that they've, they've introduced. Which is not complicated, it's not totally different, but it just adds a little bit of almost three dimensional look to it. Yes, it does. And it, it's also going to look good, I think, on a, on a steering wheel boss or on a bonnet of a car, which is an important factor if you're doing a car badge. I'll come to the bonnet or even the grille of a car in a moment. Kia has a new logo. I don't think we've quite got it here in Australia, have we? Well, you'll notice it's at the uh, Australian Open. As we know, Kia sponsors the Australian Open in Melbourne, and it's, it's emblazoned all around the, uh, around the courts there. So that's the first place we've seen it. And the, the Kia Stonic, which is the the last car they've launched, that will be the last car that wears the old Kia badge, the Kia badge in an oval. The new one is just, well, to be honest with you, I think it's hideous. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. <laughs> Don't hold back, Paul. Tell us what you think. Well, funnily enough, I, I spoke to one of the uh, most respected designers in Sydney about this logo, and he, of course, doesn't want to, doesn't want to be rude about his, his compatri- compatriots and friends, but... He said, no, look, he said, it doesn't have any heritage. It doesn't have any, any reason. It just, it's, it's just, it's a mess. <laughs> it's quite simply, it's a mess. And they talk about it looking like a handwritten logo and it's not. He said, you know, it doesn't seem to, it doesn't even imply or have any heritage from the Korean thing, which may be deliberate. They may want to move away from their Korean identity, but it's just, again, I, I can't imagine what it's going to look like on a car. There are a number. You get the stylistic one of something like a Mazda. There were the old ones like the GM Lion, which was often confused with Peugeot, but that was really very old-fashioned, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And if you look at, for example, the GM history, you look at how that Lion's evolved over the years and how it's changed, or you look at the way the Peugeot logo's changed over the years, mostly they evolve. They're sort of sharpened up a little and made made to look a little more modern. Mm. The Kia one is just is a complete departure from where they were before, which may or may not be good. And I just, as I said, I just I don't understand it. I really don't understand any of the thinking behind it. I read all the all the guff from the designer. <laughs> well, that would have helped. Yes, yeah, so I was no clearer at the end than I was at the start. It's like reading some of those descriptions beside a painting in an art gallery, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. They mention concepts and things which don't help me at all. Although I went to an art gallery the other day, the the Archibald rejects, the ones that nearly made it. And there was a lovely one of a scene of a road in the snow mountains, and the guy wrote, of it meant something to me because we used to have a cabin there. And I drove down and my emotions were always this. And I thought, I understand that. Yep. Whether the painting was a little bit modern or, or old is not really the point. At least it was trying to reflect something that... I could read or understand. Some of the logos are big. Great Wall has a low, lumpy logo. Looks like a cowboy belt buckle. Yeah. <laughs> I think perhaps we've lost the subtlety, which is where I wanted to touch base with you. I just put out a post that's uh, asking whether we've gone maximum grill size. Yes. You mentioned putting the logo on the grill or the bonnet or the boot, but the grill... The New York Times talked about, have we gone peak grill? <laughs> and particularly given we're now moving to an electric vehicle, which doesn't really need one. Well, in many cases, doesn't have one at all. Yeah. 
even the modern cars still have something that looks a bit like a grill, but air doesn't flow through it. Lexus, how do you respond to the the Lexus, which is, looks like a bit like an hourglass without roundness? Oh, the grill, yes, of course. It's like redesigning the steering wheel. There is a limit to how many ways you can do it. Um, and you, t- you talk about, like, for example, the Kia's dog bone grill, which runs across the family. That works quite nicely. Um, the Lexus, what do they call it? The spindle grill is what they call that. Spindle, that's the word. Yeah, yeah and it's hideous. I mean, it looks like a fencing mask. <laughs> and because it's sort of the, co- the corporate look of the grill, uh, it then almost has to be forced into working on, on a variety of different vehicles. And some of these things will work well on a big SUV and won't work well on a small car or vice versa. But this spindle grill, is, it's, it's just, hmm. it's been pushed into being used and it's, it's, it, there are a number of cars where it just simply doesn't work and that's, that's a good example. Whereas Kia's dog bone grill tends to work really well across virtually all their models because it's not so extreme. The spindle is very extreme. The New York Times said some of these grills look like they could strain spaghetti. <laughs> Whenever I review a, a BMW now, these things, it's like, it's like the flared nostrils of a bull. I mean, the things are, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then they'll start to shrink back down again at some stage because these things do go in cycles. But the BMW grills are just, they're just enormous. And there's a limit again to what, how many ways you can interpret what is the kidney grill. So it's putting pressure on designers. And it's of no benefit to us as buyers or users, purely an identity thing. There's an American thing there, isn't there, of the big bull nose, almost, what is it, the Mack truck type of view. Yeah. The Rolls-Royce. Get out, get out of my way. Yeah, get out of my way. Yeah. There's the BMW SUV that has a, another enormous sort of kidney grill on the front. And it's so big that you can actually see straight through it, which means you, you can see all the sort of support structure behind the grill, which is, you know, you don't really want to see all that. It's a bit like seeing, a bit like seeing how something works or looking into a kitchen in a restaurant. <laughs> so you look at this BMW and there are, there are the crossbars behind it. You think, well, it's not so big now that there's, it's not even it's not even covering the underpinnings. You can see an oil leak though. That might be helpful. <laughs> oh, not in a BMW, David. No, 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 no such thing. Oh no, no. no I was talking generically. Huh? Yeah, of course, of course. Cars. If you have prestige cars now, Toyota did the Lexus, where they wanted you to feel as though you're getting something special, and it wasn't. Just the run-of-the-mill, although Toyota would say their run-of-the-mill cars are very good, and indeed they are, but, but they are brought in Lexus. Now, Hyundai has brought in Genesis. Now, it came and it went in the Australian market, and now it's back again. When it came, it, it was originally going to be sort of sold in dealerships beside Hyundai's. People thought, okay. But then there was this doubt that, did you want this specialist? Yeah, yeah elite sort of brand to be sitting beside an Elantra. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Elantra. Well, you know, it's, it's I think they're very good cars. But the point about it is differentiation. You've just been driving a Genesis. Which one was that? I was driving the big sedan. The, it's called the G80, and it's probably competing with things like the Audi A8 and the BMW 7 Series. It's a big, big saloon car. It looks balanced, though, doesn't it? It doesn't look... Uh, disproportionate. No, it's a very nice design. A Porsche Panamera looks odd. <laughs> In the eye of the beholder, David, it doesn't bother me, but yes, I know exactly what you mean. The reaction I got to the Genesis was universally positive. Everyone sort of loved it. In fact, 
going back almost to the badge thing, it was interesting that uh, people people who saw it, particularly people who knew cars, thought I was driving an Aston Martin or they thought I was driving a, a Bentley. And part of that comes down to, first of all, the design, which has that sort of Euro look to it, but also the badge with the wings. Mm. And, of course, as we know, Aston Martin's badge has wings and Bentley's badge has wings. And people would notice the badge and, and then just put two and two together and assume it was a Bentley. It was an interesting exercise, but it's, it's going to be a difficult sell, that car. The one I was driving was just literally $10 under, under $100,000. And that's not going to be an easy sell because people aren't buying big sedans. It'll probably sell very well to the, you know, the limousine market and the, the hire car market, but, but uh, it's, it's going to be tough to get it, to get it across as a, as a luxury vehicle. Well, as a luxury vehicle that has reasonable volumes, I think that that's the point. Yeah. Bentley's quite happy to sell one or two at a squillion dollars, whatever. Oh, yes. This is still a value for money luxury car. That's right. When you compare it to its its natural or obvious competitors, of course it is. Um, when you compare it to an Audi or, as I said, an Audi or a, or a, a big Jaguar, for example, or a, or a Bentley, um, yeah, of course it's it's remarkably good value by comparison. Um, but it doesn't have any of that heritage. It was interesting, going back to your point before, um, when they launched the Genesis, it was actually called the Hyundai Genesis here, mm. and we sort of I questioned that I questioned that at the time because I said, well. Hyundai as a badge doesn't doesn't have the cachet that you need for a luxury car and a high priced luxury car. Uh, and also it was interesting that in in Korea it was never badged as a Hyundai in Korea. It was always a separate a separate brand. Um, and obviously there's been a rethink somewhere down the line and they decided that is the way to go here as well. Um, take away the, the Hyundai connection and away you go. Um, it's an interesting one. And it's got a mixture of cars. There's a, mm. a sort of station wagon SUV version of it yeah. as well, isn't there? And they're, they're, they're going to get variety that you can choose from. Inside, it's plush, and you would have had the three and a half litre all-wheel drive. Well, that's the hundred thousand dollar one. They started about eighty four thousand for a two and a half litre rear wheel drive, two and a half litre turbo two wheel drive model, which is still a lot of money. Yeah. And I see. I don't know who's going to buy it because if you're in the market for a, an Audi or a, or a BMW or a Jaguar or a Bentley or any of those any of those top end cars, I really don't think you're going to say, "Oh, well, I'm going to save a couple hundred. I'm going to save a hundred thousand dollars and go and buy a Genesis." I just don't think that's going to happen. And whether people will move up to it is where the question then arises. You know, will you will you aspire to a Genesis? I don't know. I just don't know. I wonder whether the whole issue of the turbulent world we've had in 2020 might make us reevaluate whether for a business $100,000 might be significant. Yeah. But again, it, it, it depends on what you want. Do you want comfort and luxury or do you want status? Mm, that's right. And anyone, anyone who says they buy a car without thinking of the status is, is not being completely honest with you. Um, I mean, the reality is that we do want to impress other people. I should have said perceived status. Yes, you probably should have. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, it's almost, you know, if you take it into another area, for example, you know, it's, it's why I keep questioning why it is that Skoda just can't seem to get traction in the Australian market. I mean, excellent cars, priced com- very competitively when you compare them to the almost identical Volkswagen, but for some reason they just don't seem to be able to get traction in the Australian market and that's got to come down to brand image or or perceived status if you like it's a battle they've been fighting for so long 
Do you think there's a long history there? Skoda used to come from communist-dominated Czechoslovakia, which they weren't renowned for their reliability or elegance. (laughs) Now the Czech Republic is building a high-quality car with reliability factors by independent assessment as being probably better than Volkswagen. No, absolutely. Even though they might be the same design. If you go back... When I was a young lad, a Skoda was not a car you bought in order to show your level of success. No. You bought it because you could afford it. Exactly. But surely that can't carry over. I mean, I'm old. Well, I was going to say, it's amazing. I mean, car buyers have long memories. They're very, very slow to forgive a car company that has made a mistake or let them down. Uh, And people of a certain age, like you and I, the Skoda was very, very sort of, bottom end of the market car um, things like the little 110 coupe and, and they were just they were very basic transport not quite as bad as the Wartburg or the Trabant but you know <laughs> they were pretty ordinary, pretty ordinary cars <laughs> that still seems to affect buyers they still have those memories of you know all those Skoda jokes I mean we used to we used to love Skoda jokes because they were, <sighs> spread them around non-stop but they still they still apply it's really weird that you know, the car is not being judged on its merits, it's being judged on on its perceived history and its perceived shortcomings of decades ago, literally decades ago. I'll have to have a look at its logo to see if that's its problem. I notice in New Zealand that the police force are no longer getting Commodores, of course, mm. and so they're now going to Skoda Superbs. That's interesting. Maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> Calling a car a Superb, I think, bit up themselves, really, isn't it? Brave call, isn't it? The Skoda logo is an interesting one, and it could have something to do with it. No one can tell me what it is. I mean, it's supposed to be an arrow and a something else, and it's got a hole in the middle, and, and it's the strangest thing you've ever seen, and no one can describe what it what it represents. Uh, it's just this odd, odd logo. But yes, the Skoda's superb. I was talking to the um, the local police departments here, and they're having a real issue now with what, what they replaced the Commodore with, because as pursuit cars, and some talk about getting the Kia Stinger as a pursuit car in various markets, um, but they also look at, they're looking at things like Kia SUVs, and I must be honest with you that the police drivers I've spoken to are less than impressed by these things as as how dynamically how how they perform dynamically. They're just not particularly thrilled. They would be happy with a Kia Stinger, I think. Mm. But uh, it's, it's a tough call because we now we're lacking that sort of car. You know, you've got to be able to put people in the back seat of a police car. Uh, so it has to be of a certain size, and we just don't have that many cars now in that you know, largest sedan car. Maybe they could all be in Genesis. <laughs> well, you almost need a Genesis body without necessarily all the fancy bits. If you get a Stinger, which I love, I think it's one of the most complete sedan, mm. touring, fastback-looking yeah. cars that are around, but it might eliminate your risk arresting basketball players or anyone you know <laughs> capable of playing basketball. Do we have to arrest basketball players very often? A well-known criminal class, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to disparage basketball players. No. Someone of those dimensions rather than necessarily yeah. their character. I make no judgment on that at all. You know, when you go back a few years, um, Holden fell forward and, and uh, Chrysler all made police specials. In other words, they were, you know, full-size sedans, uh, stripped of the things that a police force didn't need, so, you know, luxury items usually, 
and then fitted out usually with heavy-duty suspension and uh, quite often a limited slip disc and quite often a, a track rod and all sorts of specific requirements that, that suited the police market. And they are in their own way now quite collectible because they were they were high-speed pursuit cars and, and they performed and handled really well. Uh, so even even then, manufacturers recognised that the police department requirements were not the same as the in mass market requirements. They did have pursuit vehicles of unusual nature. A Mini Cooper S was one, and I think the ACT government had a Daimler 250 sports car. Yes, they did. So ugly as well. <laughs> and that was Paul Morrill, a long-time motoring writer and friend of the program and the founder of the Senior Driver Oz dot com website for, as he says, car advice for people whose age and IQ are both over 50. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Paul Morrill and Paul Just for their wonderful help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.